Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be reviewing the World Tag League Finals, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. This episode of Keeping a Strong Style is brought to you by Power Slam TV. If you are a fan of independent wrestling, Power Slam TV has over 6,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use our promo code Social Suplex to get your first month free. Also, make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. Yo, did you just see the, the breaking news? No. Do you want me to wait for the news, or do you want me to announce this right over there? Uh, I mean, you, you already kind of jumped in. Let's, let's, what's the breaking news? All right. Uh, this is officially confirmed from uh, NJ, NJPW of America coming in 2020, the new beginning in USA Tour. New Japan Pro Wrestling's first U.S. Tour of the, uh, of the year hits five cities in nine days. January 24th, 
Tampa, Florida. Oh, snap. <laughs> that January is. 20, <laughs> that January is awesome. 26th, uh, they'll be hitting Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina on the 27th, Miami, Florida on the 30th. And they'll be closing out at uh, in Atlanta, GA, February 1st. Stay tuned for more details. Yo, New Beginning USA is coming right here from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome. That's awesome. What uh, arena is it going to be? It, it, I don't know. It, it, I just, Rich just sent that to the group chat. I just saw it. <laughs> <laughs> shout, shout out to Rich for sending in that uh, that breaking news. Holy crap. I, yeah, I was hoping that that'd be like a Mania announcement. Yeah, maybe they're uh, staying away from Mania. Maybe, but, um, you know, if they're running in January in, in uh, Tampa, what's to say they, they won't run April in Tampa, too? That is true. So I guess we'll uh, just have to see what happens. Bro, there's so, mu- so many wrestling shows coming our way. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. Um, and uh, so before we uh, get jumped in, so, uh, young boy, you are, you're via satellite this week. Uh, yes, I am uh, coming to you all from Parts Unknown. Me, Papa Shango, the Ultimate Warrior, all the greats. And uh, so we we got a package here today that uh, you wanted me to uh, open as we recorded. Yeah, basically this is like when um, Sting kept getting packages like mysteriously left for him in, in the middle of the ring and then Abdul the Butcher jumped out and attacked him. That's pretty much what's going on here. I've left a package back in the dojo for Jeremy. He doesn't know what's in the package. And... Um, Jump zone, jump zone. <laughs> no, but uh, in all seriousness, so, um, you know, I want this show to be the best it possibly can be. And Jeremy does a great job. But there, There's a few things that just happen to be lacking in his life. And it's the holiday season. So I got him a Christmas present that will better him and better the show and better the experience for all of you listeners. And uh, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and uh, open up that package, let everybody know what 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 I've uh, bestowed upon you. All right, as you can probably hear, I'm uh, opening up the uh, the package here. Oh wow, Lions Pride by Chris Charlton. Man, <laughs> history, New Japan. Yeah, I, I want to read that. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, dude. This is this this is gonna be great, man. Brush up on my uh, NJPW history. Yeah, shout out to Chris Charlton, a uh, good friend of the show. And, um, you know, I just thought that that'd be a, a cool little gift to kind of get you so that that way you could uh, catch up on, um, you know, the last 30, 40 years, however long this thing can last, <laughs> 72. Oh, man. So, yeah, man. Thanks, dude. I really, really appreciate that, man. Going to dive into this thing. Yeah. I want to read that when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, um, speaking of shows that are going to be coming to Tampa, obviously uh, WrestleMania weekend is going to be coming to Tampa this April. And last week on the show, we teased um, a WrestleMania announcement for Social Suplex. And in case you miss it, that news did break on Friday. So the Social Suplex Podcast Network will be a part of the Generation Championship Wrestling Mania Week. We run this town event. It's going to be an event, multi-ring, multi-promotions, multi-media event. There'll be food, drinks, wrestling, live music, a burlesque show, 
podcast, meet and greets, vendors, speakers. Apparently, there'll be Vikings, a great war, and so much more. They've already have big stars confirmed: uh, Tajiri, Tessa Blanchard, Psychosis, uh, Montezzi, who was on uh, All Things Elite with Floyd and Rich this weekend. They got Sir Rios Badu, Ray Horace, Basia Six Six Six, Priscilla Kelly, Suicide, Colt Cabana, and so much more. All the great uh, indie talent. From the Tampa Bay area in Florida, will be on these shows. Uh, OAO, yeah, OAO. Uh, <laughs> Eddie Torres, uh, the technical alchemist David Mercury. Um, there's going to be a lot of great uh, Florida guys working throughout these shows, and um, so these shows will be happening on Tuesday, March 31st, and Wednesday, April 1st. So on Tuesday from uh, six to eight p.m., you got Tampa Bay Pro Wrestling. From 8 to 10 p.m., there will be Generation Generation Championship Wrestling. Then from 10 to 12, there will be uh, Elevate Pro Wrestling. And then at midnight, there will be a the Burlesque Show. And Your then, favorite part of the night. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then on Wednesday, from 6 to 8, there will be Punk Pro Wrestling. 8 to 10, Generation Championship Wrestling. From 10 to midnight, there will be Platinum Pro Wrestling's Lucha Mania 4. Um, at midnight, there will be another Burlesque Show. And then... Uh, from 12.15 to 3, there's going to be the Wolf's Night Out, the Nightmare Before Mania. Yeah, so we're we're extremely excited to be a part of this, uh, this event. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a love letter to the Tampa Bay area and Florida independent wrestling scene. And, uh, you know, Mania Week is already a crazy week as it stands. And it typically runs, you know, Thursday to Sunday. So, you know, with all these local Florida uh, promotions and all this like international talent coming in, I mean, we're extending it another two days out. So I have a feeling we're not going to get a lot of sleep that week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm planning on taking that that whole week off <laughs> from from the, uh, the shoot job. Yeah, but um, this is uh, this is pretty exciting, man. I, I, I can't wait. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, I hope a lot of people get a chance to get in early and, uh, you know, participate and see these great events right so if you uh, head over to the uh, generation championship wrestling facebook page they have all the uh, ticket information and you can purchase the your tickets there from their facebook page or if you go to brent bright and uh, type in gcw uh, we run this town it should come up with all the different uh, ticket ticket options for that tuesday and wednesday and like i mentioned uh, we'll be a part of that event. We'll be there in the, uh, the kind of the second floor where all the uh, the media uh, section will be kind of doing our thing throughout uh, the shows. Nice. So uh, this uh, past weekend, uh, finally, after 100 nights, the World Tag League has finally wrapped up. We had the, the World Tag League finals on Sunday. Yeah, man. Um, this is a good show. Uh, not great. Uh, pretty much you could surmise the entire tournament that way. Good, but not great. Disappointed, but not surprised. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, I think, you know, obviously the all the angles that happened throughout the night that we'll talk about um, definitely help the kind of the excitement level of the show and the, the energy of the whole show. Yeah, that's kind of the deal, you know, when it comes to Tag League. Uh, unless you're getting some sort of like storyline along the way during the tournament, which, you know, it seems to me like this tournament, the big story was, and we'll get to it, but was kind of the, the Goto Kenta uh, feud. But other than that, I couldn't think of a, another big like 
overarching story. I feel like last year, Crazy Chucky and the Best Friends implosion was kind of like the big story coming out of out of Tag League. But once you get to the finals, it's the last, I guess, semi-major quote-unquote show before Tokyo Dome. So you usually do get a couple of feuds uh, established. You usually get a couple vignettes, a couple match announcements, backstage segments. So it is a, it is kind of an exciting show, honestly. And, um, you know, this wasn't the best World Tag League final ever, but it was a good show to kind of close out the tournament. There's a lot of there's a lot of talking points here. Yeah, so uh, let's get started. So we opened up the night with Satoshi Kojima and Hiroshi Tenzon taking on the team of Yuji Nagata and Minobu Nakanishi. This went this match went nine minutes forty five seconds with Nagata and Nakanishi getting the submission win over uh, Tenkoji. Yeah, I mean it's not too surprising. Kojima and Tenzon um, had a pretty good tournament. Nagata and Nakanishi, not so much. And they going into this, if I'm understanding correctly, they only had one one win, right? Correct. Yeah. So you could kind of see what where this was coming from. I mean, if they were going to get another win over a team, this probably would be the place to do it. And that's exactly what happened here. So um, you know, it's the New Japan dads. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie, I, I was uh, kind of disappointed that uh Kojima you feel some kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, feeling some kind of way with uh you know, Kojima being in the torture rack and Tenzon being in the Nagata lock. And we had the kind of like stereo uh, submission finish there with uh, Tenzon being the one to uh, tap out there, getting Nagata and Nakanishi the win. But overall, were you, were, were you hoping for the uh, the DIY ascension uh, finish where like they're both in submission holds and then the guy tries to tap and he holds his hand and he prevents his partner from tapping out just at the last minute? Well, that would have been kind of hard with uh, Kojima being up on Nakanishi's shoulders, but I was hoping that. But you have to understand, it's Kojima, and with Kojima, anything is possible. That, that's it true. does not physics be damned. Right. I, I was hoping that he would, um, you know, hit a uh, co- you know, flip out, hit a Koji cutter, and make the save. <laughs> but uh, you know that that was not to uh, be the case here. Uh, both yeah. men got, you know, Kojima was trapped up on the shoulders. Tenzon had no choice but to tap out to Nagata Lock. Uh, kind of a good basic match to open up the card. Yeah, I mean, if he hadn't tapped out, his career would have been ended. So, I mean, <laughs> he kind of had a, he had a, you know, use his use his head, think about his his life, what he really wanted long term, and preserve himself. So that's exactly what he did here. Yeah, so with that victory, that brought Nakanishi and Nagata to two and thirteen, four points, and oh then <laughs> uh, Tenkoji with uh, four and eleven with eight points. Ah, uh, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about this? Nah, just uh, disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, I'll, I'll I'll be honest. I thought the match was fine. Um, all the same talking points we always bring up. Uh, you know, Tenzan and Nakanishi looked a little rough in their movement, but altogether these guys are very familiar with one another. So I thought this match was actually pretty okay. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good little opener. Nice. So we uh, move on to Toriano and Colt Cabana taking on the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Bad Luck Fale. We see uh, Yano Cabana get the win here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this match was fine. It wasn't I mean, I, I I don't know. I get, it depends on your taste. I thought it was a funny match, but I didn't think it was a good match. Um, you know, Toriano and Cole Cabana do it all there. 
you know, hilarious spots. I thought some of the opening stuff with Chase and Bad Luck Folly actually was pretty funny. But, yeah. you know, Folly was kind of out there lumbering. Once once the heat started, it just kind of was all over the place. Um, I like the part where uh, Toriano, where he, like, throws a guy into the in the ropes. He tries to grab their hair. He tried to do that to Folly, but he had nothing to, to grab onto. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, and like you mentioned, like some of the opening stuff for you know the Colt and uh, Yano, I go, no, you go, I go, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like Fale comes in, like no, you go, you go. <laughs> Here's what I do know: Toriano said something to Colt Cabana's ears, and then Colt Cabana like immediately stopped protesting and was like, "All right, I guess I'll fight him." Yeah. What the fuck does Toriano have on Colt Cabana to make him face off against Balak Fale? He's got some dirt on that man. He he got in his ear and he's like. Y'all, I'm going to tell them about that night in Rapongi if you don't, you know, fucking man up and fight this man. I was like, damn it. <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. Yano must have something on a... Whatever he said to him, it, he stopped protesting immediately. He's like, all right, you're right. I'll do it. <laughs> but yeah, so it was what it was here. Come down to the end, Fale accidentally takes out Owens. Um, and then uh, there was a low blow followed by the Superman pin. One, two, three, Yano and Cabana get the win there. And uh, yeah. Yano and Cabana, let's see, they ended it with uh, nine and six with 18 points. And then Chase and Fale and six and nine with 12 points. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing with uh, Yano and Cabana, we kind of talked about how they would play spoiler uh, in a lot of regards. And they definitely did. They're one of the only teams to hold um, victories over two of the three top point earning teams in this tournament. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was, which of the three they beat. They definitely beat, um, they beat GOD. Uh, okay. That was it. And Finn juice. And they lost to LIJ. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or, LIJ, or, or it was the other way around. I don't well, know. Well, LIJ only had one loss going into this. Um, was it to them? Uh, was it? I can't, remember. I think it, I'm blanking now. Oh, they lost to G.O.D. Oh, L.I.J.? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, they that- did. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, the okay. only, that was the only loss L.I.J. had going into it. So, Yano and Cabana had previously defeated Finn Juice as well as uh, G.O.D. So, I mean, you know, not only did they do pretty well in the point totals, but they beat, like, two of the three top teams in the tournament, which is pretty, uh, you know, actually respectable. Yeah, pretty good, and um, you know, I think Gato just really likes Colt Cabana. Um, obviously, we know he he likes Yano. He's, we see how Yano gets booked throughout the year, but I think he's taking a liking to Cabana. Saw him in the New Japan Cup, and now we're seeing him here. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see more Cabana in the future. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, I think it kind of depends. Um, I'm not sure what the relationship is as far as. Um, you know, everything with ROH and New Japan, we've talked about a lot, but like, is Colt Cabana like a Ring of Honor um, contracted worker or is he just a guy who does commentary there and he happens to be able to work wherever he wants? I, I, I'm not sure, really. I, I feel like it's based on what I see Colt kind of wrestles where he wants. Obviously, he's the NWA National Championship. We'll be defending that belt this coming up weekend at uh, Into the Fire he wrestles, you know, all over the place. And then I've mainly seen him just commentating in ROH this year. So I think maybe he's on a, con- uh, I guess a commentator deal with them. And then he, he, he has. What day, what day is that into the fire pay-per-view? It's uh, this Saturday. Okay. So there's Friday is 
um, Warrior Final Wrestling. Battle. Yeah, Final Battle and Warrior Wrestling 7. And then okay, both those shows. Yeah, Saturday's Into the Fire, and then Sunday is uh, TLC. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, another uh, stacked weekend of wrestling there. But, nice. Uh, so, moving on to the next matchup, we got uh, Jeff Cobb and Mikey Nichols. They took on Shingo, T- Shingo Takagi and El Terrible. You know, uh, this was a matchup between two teams that I think – maybe were two of the over performing teams in the tournament as far as expectations versus reality. So it was kind of fitting that they ended up facing off against one another on the final night of the tournament. Um, this was a pretty good match. Actually. I, I liked it a lot. I, a lot of the praise that we've given to Cobb and Nichols as well as Shingo and Terrible kind of played out in one match here. It was a very representative match of, you know, the tournament that both these teams have had. And I thought this was good uh, at nine minutes, 35 seconds. It didn't overstay its welcome. And um, one last thing I liked about it was it was cool to see kind of like you've got your U.S. indie darling sort of super athletic big guy in Jeff Cobb. You've got your per resu hard hitting, you know, you know, type guy with Shingo. You have your, you know, sort of like old crusty uh, Lucha hard hitting heel type character with Terrible. And then Mikey Nichols, you know, international star who, you know, came up in the dojo, but also is heavily influenced by his WWE tenure. So, I mean, this four completely different styles of wrestling, like kind of converging one match. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was really cool. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool with like Cobb and uh, Shingo. Um, you know, both of those guys were in uh, PWG and Bola. And so just seeing those guys kind of mix it up again was uh, pretty cool. And they, they had the match in the G1 uh, this year also. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really like that matchup of Goto and uh, Shingo. I, I mean, excuse liked, me, uh, Cobb and Shingo. You mean Cobb. Yeah. I, I kind of liked Cobb and Shingo's interactions here a little bit better than their first matchup during the G1, which I thought was a little bit of a uh, disappointment to some degree. Um, so I would like to see them mix it up again in the future, whether it be here or elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely uh, be down for that as well. And so we had um, Cobb and Nichols getting the win here with uh, Nichols hitting that uh, Blue Thunder Mikey Bomb on El Terrible to get the win. Yeah, I like that he he still some like even that one I didn't love the way he hit it, but it's still it, it's so fast it kind of comes out of nowhere. I kind of like that. Yeah, I feel like he he's been hitting it better lately. Like originally, I think he was kind of doing it like it's like a normal like stand up version. It wasn't really looking good, but. Now that he catches them like off the rebound, off the ropes, and gets like the actual spin, it looks pretty cool. Do you feel like maybe guys weren't feeding it to him properly originally, and maybe they're they've learned how to feed it to him properly? I feel like that might be part of the issue. Yeah, that probably was. Yeah, people because I don't think I've ever seen anybody recently in New Japan doing a Blue Thunder, so maybe people weren't exactly sure how to. I mean, the last guy I can think of was like Junakiyama, the originator of the move. Yeah. Um, trying to think who else did it before that, I'm not sure. So, yeah, maybe it was that kind of like a miscommunication there, and they finally are all on the same page. Yeah, but this is good. Uh, what did these teams finish with? So, Cobb and Nichols finished 8 and 7 with 16 points, and Chingo and Terrible finished 6 and 9 with 12 points. Great. So, that brings us on to the next match. We had Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toa Hanare defeating the team of Hiroki Goto and Carl Fredericks, 10 minutes and 10 seconds. You know, when I was watching this match, I started to think to myself, I just had this strong sense of, like, uh, deja vu. And I was like, I could totally see Hanari and Fredericks at some point in time having a similar feud. 
to the type of or rivalry to the type that Tanahashi and Goto had, but the roles were reversed. Fredericks is the Tanahashi and Hanare is the Goto. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, dude. Uh, Carl Fredericks, this this guy's a star. We've uh you know, we've been singing his praises ever since he's kind of made his in-ring debut for New Japan. And this guy is just awesome, man. He just has a different like there's just something there's like an aura about him, even at the young lion stage in his career. There's, you can just sense that something special about him, just the way he moves and how he takes bumps and he has this intensity that he brings to what he does in the ring. Yeah, I, I think Fredericks looked really good here. I also want to talk about Toa Hinari. I think he looked really good. We've talked about, you know, him having a sense of urgency and really feeling the moment with, you know, the opportunity that this uh, you know, tournament kind of afforded him as well as Fredericks, but you know, he came in with a new look, uh, new attitude. And I think he really tried to do the best he could to maximize his efforts here. And, um, and not just here, but every night of the tournament. And I, th- I thought him and Tanahashi looked really good. Uh, both these teams were, were great. Um, overall, I would say I would give the team edge to Goto and Fredericks over the whole course of the tournament, but yeah, not that much higher than Tanahashi and Hanari. And, the interactions between Hanar and Fredericks actually, like I mentioned, I was kind of being comical, but in all honesty, I'd like to see these two lock it up down the line in the future. Yeah, I think that'd be kind of a great rivalry, especially to kind of like help get um, Fredericks to that like main roster level, like eventually picking up a big win over to Hanare, I think would be pretty cool down the line. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's time to go with Hanare too. And I think also they were really mentioning that a lot on the, uh, commentary they're like you know we're getting to a point now where like he's not a, a a new guy he's not a fresh starter it's time to stop making excuses for hanari and like you know raise your expectation levels i i have a strong feeling that they're going to start moving him along uh a similar career path to maybe say like a juice robinson or something like that mm, you yeah. know in the next year i wouldn't be surprised if he starts getting more opportunities more singles matches yeah that definitely yeah, i can see that happening and he got the win for the team here. He hit the uh, Toa bottom on Carl Fredericks to get the win for him and Tanahashi. And yep. so let's see what the point standings here. So uh, Tanahashi and Toa Nare ended with 3-12 and 12 with 6 points. And uh, Goto and Fredericks also ended 3-12 and 12 with 6 points. So both teams yeah. had a tie in there. And, uh, I mean, for, for a team like... Uh... Goto and Fredericks, where they've got a young line on the team, that's really impressive. Right. Normally, you got a young line on your team. You're not winning anything at all. But um, they did give Goto and Fredericks some wins here. and They, they kind of had to give Goto... 15 s- matches. <laughs> yeah. They had to give yeah. uh, Goto a little bit of juice uh, going into the Kenta match. So. Yep. So after this match, we had, uh, you know, lights went off. We got the video message from Chris Jericho, the pain maker, saying time is running out for Tanahashi. Um, He said it'll be a great match, but also Tanahashi's last match. Uh, Tanahashi grabs the mic and responds. Then he thought Jericho would be here and kind of like starts looking around to see if Jericho was there. But he says, on January 5th, there's no way you will make this my last match because I have no plans on quitting but maybe this may be your last match, Jericho. Hmm. Yeah, we get a lot of uh, questions from people asking if this would be Tanahashi's not last match, but last major appearance in the Dome in a singles role. And it, it very well may could be. Uh, we'll have to still see. But I got to tell you, I didn't 
love this uh, promo video. Uh, I mean, it was fine. Like we we already saw a uh, promo video. Um, you know, it would have helped if Jericho would have actually showed up and we got a, a physical angle. You know, maybe we might get an angle at one of the Road to Tokyo Dome shows, but um, oh, we're not. Um, you know, the last time we saw Jericho was Dominion, so it would have been great to get some kind of physicality here to um, add some juice to this thing. Yeah, I want to see Le Ace and Le Champion <laughs> go head to head. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, but I, I, it was fine. It's just like you mentioned, we've gotten videos like this before, but the production quality was good, but the concept of it, I mean, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of this Painmaker character when he first originally was going up against Naito because it kind of fit the whole anti-LIJ thing, but then... You know, they talk about how Jericho keeps reinventing himself, but like he doesn't really feel that reinvented to me. Like in going into this feud, he just, you know, I don't know the the whole like, I don't even know how to how to basically explain like the the face paint and the makeup. It just right. kind of well, seems tired to cause, me because we we saw different phases depending on who he was feuding with. So with yeah. Omega, he debuted like the alpha character. And then he uh, moved on to Naito, which he um, kind of started doing the face paint thing, and um, that kind of led into the feud of evil. And he was doing the "I am, I'm evil, I'm really evil" kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then with the feud of Okada, he became the pain maker to match the rainmaker. So here, but here, it, feel, it feels like with the pain maker thing, it's like the amalgamation of all these like different phases, and that's like his final form, quote unquote. <laughs> Final form Frieza. <laughs> yeah, final form Jericho. It's the pain maker. But it's uh you know, it's basically just kind of like a bad Alice Cooper cosplay. And it just feels weird to see Jericho in that form going up against Tanahashi. I I, I was kind of hoping he would come up with something new or fresh, I guess. I don't know. That's just my one like kind of thing about it. Like I I'm excited because of the names involved, but there's not really much for me to actually be invested in when it comes to what's the hook aside from Jericho versus Tanahashi. Right. So yeah, that's that's my one thing. Like I don't know. I I, I would have rather had seen him shown up, or if he couldn't show up, I would have I don't know. I liked when he was cutting promos on Naito. When like when he couldn't be there, just his promos that he was just cutting, like literally on his handheld, that was kind of better than this video to me. Right, there was really nothing to this promo. It was just a real quick, pretty much the same message he said the last time we got the last Jericho video for Tanahashi. So there wasn't anything new. There wasn't like anything really behind the promo. Like, yeah. So yeah, that's my one. That's what I want to say about it, basically. So that takes us to the next tournament match. We had uh, Minoru Suzuki taking on, or Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer taking on Kenta and Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, yeah, so this match was fine. Um, I mean, I think the one big talking point was the interactions between Kenta and Minoru Suzuki. Oh, A yeah. lot of people were really, you know, kind of digging that, it seemed like. Yeah, it was awesome. They were just, like, slapping the crap out of each other and, like, this was pretty much like the first match where like Kenta actually felt like, you know, he wanted to perform and kind of felt motivated to, you know, have a good match or at least good showing on his part. Uh, I wouldn't say the first time because, I mean, that Ishii match d does exist. <laughs> True, yeah. 
But just but, uh, that was it felt like it, that was so long ago. <laughs> but in this tournament, I mean, there was very few like times where you saw Kenta look very motivated. That's what, and that's what was, I meant in this in this tournament. I didn't mean like in general. Okay, I thought you meant in general. I was like, uh, I no, mean, no, I don't no. know. If, <laughs> no, no, that, that, this tournament, like I thought his G one was very good, and yeah, all the single matches. Been good. I meant like in this tournament, like he okay. pre- he pretty much like catnapped his way through this tournament. Yeah, I mean, and I don't blame him. Again, it's the World Tag League, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but yeah, this this match was not. It was good. It wasn't great, but um, you know, this I really dug this stuff with Suzuki and Kenta. Um, Archer's back to his uh, ways of scaring children once again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> chasing that kid throughout the crowd. Yep, uh, Ujiro was biting people like he always does. I mean, it, it was fine. It was it was a. Bullet Club versus Suzuki good match. You kind of know what you're getting there. Right. And uh, towards the end, Archer gets Yujiro up for the blackout, pulls him up at two, applies the EBD claw, and gets the pinfall victory. Suzuki and Archer get the win here over Kenta and Yujiro. You know, I actually, when I was watching, I was like, you know what? I don't, I guess I'm kind of not completely against the whole claw smash thing. But I don't like it when he pull every time he hits the blackout, he pulls guys up. Right. You know? Right. Because it's like, okay, you're protecting the one move to get another move over. Why don't you just do you, they don't have to be done in conjunction with one another? You can like do them separately, you know? Right. Like I wish he would just hit like a choke slam or something to set up the the claw yeah, instead you, you of should uh, probably you should probably DM him that and let him know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get right on that. Yeah. Um uh, so yeah, so uh, we should actually bring him on the show and then ask him that question. Have you ever <laughs> thought about doing this? My, my, we actually aren't recording right now. This is just a private conversation between friends. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes over. Yeah, <laughs> may, maybe if he's on the Tampa show, we'll uh, we'll get him live in the uh, the dojo here and uh, get a little uh, interview. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if they're coming to Tampa, we can get in as press. By the way, yeah. That- uh, just saying <laughs> so uh suzuki and archer they end uh nine and six with 18 points and uh kenta and yujiro and eight and seven with 16 points yep so then post match we get the deaf rider music and john moxley is in the building we go we play- yeah and before he showed up in the building they played the video like and they're like oh that's the death rider video and like i'm like Oh, it's just another video. That sucks. I was like, I really wanted Mox to be here. And then they're like, wait, wait, in the crowd. And I was like, hell yes. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Mox uh, coming through the crowd, um, crowd losing their mind. Uh, then Mox kind of comes out by ringside. Um, he lays out Archer and Suzuki with the Death Rider uh, DDT. Then he grabs a mic and challenges Archer for a title match at Wrestle Kingdom because he wants his belt back, and he challenges him to a Texas death match. Then he uh, sets a table up, and he wants to put Archer through it. They end up brawling. They brawl all throughout the crowd and out of that uh, backside door there. Yep. So uh, So I was extremely excited for this. Like, you know, this is – like one of my favorite like match stipulations. So like the idea of getting it in new Japan is like pretty awesome. Right. And, and so for people who don't know, cause I know 
the Texas death match is not something that's really happened a lot, especially like probably in the last like 10 years or so. So a lot of fans probably don't even realize like what the rules are. So essentially it's, it starts off, you have to get a pinfall on your submission, on your, on your opponent. And once you get a pinfall, they have to be remaining down for 10 seconds. So it's like a singles match combined with a last man standing match, essentially. Yes. Now, not every company does it that way, though. Like, for instance, in New York, they used to have quote unquote Texas death matches. Um, you know, like, I'm pretty, I know Bob Backlund had quite a few of them. I'm thinking maybe Bruno did too, but I'm not totally sure. But like, they would do it where. There was no 10 count. It was literally just basically a no DQ match, and they just called it a Texas death match. But traditionally speaking, yeah, you're you're correct. It's basically it's almost a last man standing match, except before they can start the count, you have to pin or submit the other person. Usually it's a pinfall, and then they start the 10 count. So after you pin them, if they get up within 10 seconds, the match continues. Um, and this was like kind of like the hardcore of all hardcore matches in the, you know, during the territory days in the South. And, um, you know, like, I'm pretty sure um, I'm trying to remember who's like the master of that match. It might've been like uh Dory Funk senior. I'm believe, I believe was probably like the master of that match. Um, I'm sure Fritz von Eric had quite a few of them as well. Um, some of my favorite matches are Texas death matches but I don't know if New Japan's going to do it that way or, you know. If- right, because, yeah, they haven't really announced, like, what the rules of their Texas death match is. Like, it could might as well, it could just be a, a hardcore match, and they're just calling it a Texas death match because Archer is from Texas, and, you know, Mox wants to fight Archer in his own kind of game, you know. So I, we're not, not 100% sure, like, which rule set they're going to be using here. Yeah, but I mean, if you're not familiar with this, there's some really famous ones. Um, Chris Harris and James Storm from TNA had an amazing Texas Death oh, match. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember that one, yeah. Uh, Vader and McFoley in WCW from uh, Halloween Havoc 93. Um, Terry Gordy versus um, Killer Khan in uh, World Class is like one of the greatest ones. Um Hulk Hogan and Harley Race actually have a really great Texas death match uh, from the territory days in WWE. I think it's like 87. Um, that's a really good one as well. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to brush up on that on that match style, you know, it's basically WWE just ripped it off. When they, when they started doing last man standing, they ripped off the Texas death match and just got rid of the pinfall rule. Gotcha. Oh, and there's also the quote-unquote Mexican death match from ECW – which was uh, Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis. That match is awesome as well. Nice. So, yeah, a lot of great uh, Texas death matches for you guys to kind of check out and brush up on before we get to Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I, I remember growing up, like, hearing about, for some reason, like, the idea of a Texas death match <clears throat> was so uh, intriguing to me because what the heck is a death match? Right. You know? That sounds like, what? A <laughs> death match? Like, what kind of match is that? So yeah, I I love this. I love this match. So next up on the card, we had Kota Bushi, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Thunder Liger defeating Okada and Rapungi 3K. Before we get to this, one last thing I wanted to touch base on because we, we skipped over it. I love the idea of Archer and Mox, but seeing Mox and Suzuki in the same ring, 
And with the kind of long-term storytelling they have in New Japan, I really wouldn't be surprised if this is the start of an eventual feud between those two down the road. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I can definitely see that. They definitely plant some seeds there. Yeah, and, and we know they want to wrestle each other because of the tweets that they've sent out. And even New Japan played into it earlier this year with one of the like articles that they had like promoted. So, yeah. Yeah, so that should be fun. But yeah, the six-man tag, so, um, you know, all throughout this tour, um, Okada, he's been wanting to bring out a more um, aggressive version of Kota Ibushi, but Kota was just kind of, you know, he was asking, you know, where was the, the Kota that won the G1, you know, where's that, you know, aggressive, you know, killer Kota, and so Okada kept kind of, you know, trying to, you know, poke the bear, so to speak, and get um, the aggressive Kota Ibushi. You mean murder Coda? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he definitely got that here. Yeah, so Coda uh, Bushi was definitely uh, more aggressive uh, throughout this match, and uh, Okada was just being, you know, uh, heel Okada and just kind of being a douchebag and getting heat. And, you know, in this match and other matches, he's, you know, trying to pull the mask off a of Liger, and he's um, you know, just being more aggressive and really getting some heat on himself and uh, Abushi kind of firing back. And then um, post-match, you know, Okada kind of gets in Abushi's face and they're, you know, talking back and forth. And then Abushi just cocks back and cracks Okada right in the head with the uh, the briefcase. Yeah, that was a moment where, like, I kind of was halfway paying attention. And then I heard the noise and I saw him on the ground. I'm like, wait, what What just happened? <laughs> I, had to, like, I had to rewind it and I'm like, Oh, he just freaking decked him in the head with the briefcase. Like, what the heck? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he freaking laid him out, man. Yeah, and then he just, you know, the post-match attack just kept attacking ok- Okada. They try to, like, get all the refs and everybody, you know, Liger and Punky 3K to pull him off of, them, off of him, but he just kept stomping on Okada. It just kept going and going and going. Yeah, followed Okada, like, all the way to the back and kept attacking him. Yeah, there, um, you're absolutely right about, uh, Okada's showing a different side. Um, I, the whole time I was watching, it, I was like, "Man, Okada's being a dick." <laughs> That's right. just like I kept saying that throughout the whole match. And you know, uh, one thing of note was that this was this is they're in Hiroshima, and that's Liger's hometown. So this would be the final time that he ever performs in his hometown. And so they were trying to set up the Liger hot tag, and every time they did, like Okada kept spoiling it, or every time once Liger's in the ring, he kept cutting him off, and I'm like. Yo, Okada, like, lay off. It's the dude's, like, final night in his hometown. Okada was like, nah, run it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, at the end, after, like, Kota Ibushi, like, lost his mind, I liked uh, the way Kevin Kelly was selling it. Kevin Kelly was like, he's like, this man's going to maintain this angry state from now until the Tokyo Dome. He will be in a perpetual angry state for the next however many days. And I was like, I believe it. Yeah. Uh, and so um, after Ibushi and Okada kind of leave, uh, Liger takes um, one last bow in his hometown. But then we get another video package, this time featuring the former Dragon Lee, now going by Ryu Lee. Ryu means dragon in Japanese, so essentially keeping the same name there. But uh, Ryu Lee appears on video and says he really would like to face Liger in his final match on January 5th. Uh, Liger takes the mic and says there's someone else he wants to face as well, uh, teasing he wants to face somebody who just came back from a neck injury, 
And he said he would face both of them on in the same match. And he thanks all the fans for supporting Liger for uh, 31 years and thanks them for tonight. Yep. So uh, this was pretty, pretty exciting. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting, though, how like Dragon Lee comes out. Well, you know, the setup to this was like Tiger Mask was in the ring with uh, Jushin Liger, longtime junior tag partners. They hug. It was kind of an emotional moment. And then he kind of leaves Liger to cut a promo by himself. And then the lights go out, like you mentioned. But after Dragon Lee cut that promo and mentioned wanting to face him, Liger just kept talking about wanting to face basically Hiromu. Like, he didn't come out and say it right. was Hiromu. He's, yeah, he said somebody who just came back from a neck injury. Yeah, he was, like, alluding to it. And I'm like, oh, I wonder who he's talking about. <laughs> right. I mean, even on commentary, they were like, all right, let's, let's, let's stop playing games. We know he's talking about Hiromu Takahashi. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't know. We, we don't speak Japanese. So I don't know how impactful, you know, the promo he cut really was one way or the other. But uh, maybe we're missing some of the nuance of it. But, uh, you know, it was interesting because you're like, I was like, oh, okay, we're getting Dragon Lee and Liger. That's awesome. You know, I don't, I didn't expect that, but that's pretty cool. And then he starts talking about Hiromu, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, we're getting a triple threat match. Or I was like, him and Dragon Lee are going to wrestle on the road too. And then the final night, we'll get him and Hiromu. Like, what's, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but, uh, you know, we got an announcement about that later, so we'll talk about it. But this was pretty cool. I mean, the fans were excited to see Dragon Lee. And, I mean, the big thing is we've really been questioning what the future of Dragon Lee or Ryu Lee would be in New Japan Pro Wrestling given all the fallout with his departure from CMLL. And it looks like he's back, I guess. Yeah, several uh, news sources are reporting that he has signed a one-year deal with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, so it looks like we'll be getting, you know, a year's worth of Ryu Lee. And we did have a question here from Bobby from the Wrestling Squared Circle. He says, what do you think about the Ryu Lee name change? Uh, I mean, it's fine. Um, it's the same name, basically. It's just, you know, Dragon in Japanese, Ryu or Ryu. I think it's Ryu. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I know the commentators were saying Ryu, so that's, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I just say Ryu because I think of like Street Fighter Two. Right. So I'm gonna say Ryu. I don't. I mean, I don't care if I mispronounce it. <laughs> just like I'm gonna keep saying Pac. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, you know, wrestlers have. You know, they lose their uh, different. Uh, intelligence properties all the time when they switch places and they have to change their names and. You know, sometimes the name change is good. Sometimes it sucks. This one's pretty much the same name, so I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Street Fighter, you know, Rio's always the main character there, and so kind of having that name is kind of pretty cool as well. You know, obviously, uh, CMLL, we talked about on this show, CMLL owns the rights to the name Dragon Lee. So I know he still uses it in AAA, but, you know, obviously New Japan is partners with CMLL. I'm sure they wanted to kind of respect that uh, trademark there. So signing an exclusive deal with New Japan, they just you know went ahead and changed the name. And you know I don't mind the name change. Like you said, it's essentially the same thing. So I'm fine with it. But yeah, I mean, you know, at this point in the show, I was like, wow, you know, World Tag League. None of the matches really blown me away yet. But we got the Jericho promo. We got the Moxley appearance. We got the uh, Dragon Lee deal. We got the the big send off. 
in Hiroshima for uh, Liger. So, I mean, that was pretty cool. I mean, a lot of, and we hadn't even gotten to the final two matches yet. Right. Yeah. So after the um, Liger promo there, it, we move on to the next match up. And so here is where we got into the matches that really kind of mattered as far as the world tag league goes. So, the three teams that were still alive going into this tournament were um, Girls of Destiny, Evil Sonata, and Finjuice. So, um, how it all kind of worked Wait. out here. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to give the breakdown, but that's fine. Go ahead. Okay, so yeah, so uh, G.O.D., if they had won here, um, they would have then needed uh, what, Evil and Sonata to lose, and then they would have won it all? Yeah, so... Basically, at this point, was each team that was still in contention, uh, G.O.D., L.I.J., and Finjuice, they all had, um, if, hypothetically, if Tamatonga and Tengaloa had won and Finjuice won, they would all hold a win over each other. They would all have the same amount of points, and they'd go to a tiebreaker. So the way that the breakdown went is, in the finals, if L.I.J. won, because they had more points than the other two teams, no matter who won, they automatically take the block. If Finjuice were to beat Evil and Sonata and G.O.D. loses, then Finjuice automatically wins the block. But if G.O.D. and Finjuice both won, it would be a three-way tie on points and by tiebreaker eliminations. And so at that point, they would need some sort of tiebreaker to or award all three teams the, the win, however they wanted to do it. That's pretty much what the situation was. So going into this final match, Ishii and Yoshihashi were eliminated from winning the tournament, but they were the 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 sole thing holding God back from potentially turning this into a three way tie. Right, and honestly, you know, we we both kind of predicted uh, Finn Juice a few weeks ago when we did the the World Tag League preview, but with that three way looming for a second, I was like, oh man, they might pull this three way out and do a three way match the dome. Yeah, I mean. That was something that I had predicted. Remember, I said I thought Finjuice would win, but we might end up, you know, based on the booking with a three-way or a four-way going into Wrestle Kingdom, which I, you know, I was I wouldn't be too surprised. Even at this point, we've got a card announced, but cards are subject to change. I still wouldn't be surprised if we see some changes between now and, and Tokyo Dome time. Honestly, possible. Yeah. So. uh this was a, a very good matchup here. Um, Ishii and Yoshihashi, they they get the win here. They they play spoiler and defeat Tamatonga and Tangaloa, stopping them from advancing and um, saving us from the, the three-way tie here. Uh, I didn't love this match as much as the match they had earlier in the year. Um, that was that was Ishii and Yoshihashi that, that faced off against them, right? Yeah. Yeah, and for some reason, I really dug that match earlier this year. This one was just fine. Um, I didn't love it, I but it, it did what it needed to do. I was the whole time kind of sitting on the edge of my seat, you know, for the same reasons you mentioned, because I was like, oh, man, if G.O.D. wins, we, we might end up with a three-way, and that, that might suck. <laughs> right. So uh, I was pretty glad to see when Ishii and Yoshihashi actually got the win here, which was awesome. Yeah, that was great, and... Um... You know, kind of came down to the end here. They were getting ready to hit the super power bomb on Yoshihashi. He reversed it into a super Rana. Ishii lariats uh, Tama, and then Yoshihashi cradles Loa. 
to get the win for the team. So Yoshihashi ends up getting the big win for the team and kind of a big moment for Yoshihashi there. Yeah, um, big win for Yoshihashi. Uh, you know, G.O.D., they're still the IWGP Tag Team Champions for now. Um, big win for this Chaos team. And who knows if G.O.D. were to potentially retain down the line, this might entitle them to a title shot down the line in the future against G.O.D. if they are still champs. Right. So with Ishii and Yoshihashi defeating G.O.D., it made the main event of this card winner take all. The winning team would win the World Tag League. So we had Finn Juice and Evil and Sonata. Yeah, so this was um, definitely the match of the night. One of the better matches of the tournament. We've seen uh, this team face off before, and it's it's always been a, a good combination. Um, 24 minutes, 5 seconds. It was a pretty long match, but uh, the crowd was very into this, and I, I thought it was good. Yeah, man, this was, um, like I said, best match of the night. A lot of kind of great back and forth here uh, between uh, Juice, uh, Finn Juice and uh, LIJ. Um, you know, Finley has looked great this whole tournament, and I thought he uh, really kind of stepped it up here. And, um, you know, we've got some, you know, good hard-hitting action between all four of these guys. Yeah, I mean, um, it's nice at the end of a tournament like this when, you don't it's not too overbooked i mean we you could kind of see the the handwriting on the wall early on once you kind of took a look back and you're like okay you know the top four teams evil sonata Ju- fin juice god ishi yoshiashi like you kind of knew what we were getting and uh they didn't try to get too cute with the booking i would have liked a little bit more uh twists and turns down the down the line but once we got here the idea that we didn't have to you know, um, worry about a looming three-way was kind of nice. It was just a straight up, okay, evil Sonata, Finn Juice, whoever wins this, winner take all. And I always liked that idea, and that's exactly what we got here. So high stakes, high drama, high emotion, you know, and the idea that evil and Sonata are the two, two, uh, two-time two defending, uh, you know, World Tag League winners back-to-back, and then Finn Juice, this is the first time they've ever gotten this far in a tag tournament or, you know, even had any sort of accolade to this level. So, I mean, this was a big moment for them. And, um, you know, to, to that, those final last few segments where like juice Robinson Finley were to pick up the win, like that was like pretty big for them, honestly. Yeah. You know, there was the one spot towards the end where, um, evil had, um, he had uh, Finley in the scorpion Deathlock, and Sonata had juice in the skull end, uh, you know, double submission, you know, attempt there, but Finley was kind of able to fight to the ropes and get the break there. Uh, they tried the magic killer on Juice. Uh, well, they did hit the magic killer on Juice, but then they tried to do it on Finley, but he countered and got a, a great near fall on Evil. Then um, they hit a Darkness Falls for a near fall. They hit the magic killer, but Juice made a save there for another kind of great near fall. Um, and then Finley hits the Everything is Evil on Evil. Uh, hits a slice bread and the stunner. We had a left hand of God, Pulp Friction, and then another slice bread on Evil. One, two, three. Finley pins Evil, and Finn Juice are your 2019 World Tag League winners. Yeah, and at the end um, of this match, after they won uh, the tournament, a lot of the other competitors who'd been in the tournament came out in their 
you know, street clothes and street wear and like celebrate with them. I, I kind of like that idea. It's something that you used to see a lot in wrestling, but you don't see so much anymore. It's like when all the other like baby face wrestlers or other uh, competitors in a tournament come out to kind of celebrate with the winners. Um, I liked that idea a lot. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, kind of reminded me of like the end of the Fantastic Mania tours where all the guys kind of come out. Yeah. Like, they take the group picture. But yeah, all the Bay Face teams came out. They had um, beers from the uh, the sponsor uh, of the team, the Zimas, I think it's called. Um, yeah, well, Zimas not uh, beer. Zimas um, pretty much almost like like a. Uh, it's almost like a. I can't remember if Zima is a malt drink or if it it is a malt drink. It's basically like White Claw almost. Mm. It's like a seltzer almost. Gotcha. And uh, they used to sell. I mean, that was really big in the '90s here in the states. I I know that they started production a few years ago, but I didn't know they were sponsoring this <laughs> tournament. It's kind of funny. Um. So yeah, so they celebrate with the with the Zimas and all the Bayface teams, and Juice cuts a promo and calls out the Gorillas of Destiny. Um, God kind of comes on the stage and uh, you know they just kind of give them the uh, the one finger salute there, and then. Um, Finley and uh, Juice kind of close it off with the promo. We got the confetti and the celebration of uh, Finn Juice. Yeah, so um, big moment here. You know, uh, Finley, the only other title he'd ever held in this company, I believe, is the Never Six Man. And Juice has held other gold, but neither neither of these two men have ever won a tournament on any level, whether it be a tag or a singles. So the first big tournament win for both of them, and that you know their history together coming up through the dojo and, uh, you know, kind of being elevated to this level at this point in time, that was a really, really cool moment, really cool story. And, um, you know, a big win over the, one of the, if not the top baby face team in new Japan, that's pretty big deal. Yep. So, uh, those final four teams. So we had Finn juice, uh, ending 13 and two, 26 points. Evil Sonata also ending 13 and two with 26 points. God, 12 and 3 with 24 points, and Ishii and Yoshihashi, 11 and 4 with 22 points. So the um, the two teams that were not here on the final night were GBH and Dangerous Techers. Right. So they had finished up their tournament uh, throughout the week. Uh, Dangerous Techers ending 9 and 6 with 18 points, and then um, Great Bash Heel ending 4 and 11 with 8 points. I was kind of disappointed to not get Dangerous Techers on the finals, honestly. Yeah, you know, definitely one of the kind of highlight teams uh, throughout the tournament, having a lot of really great matches and uh, nowhere to be found here. Yep. So um, we, I know we got some questions, but um, any final, you know, notes or thoughts on this tournament or or this night in general? I guess uh, I thought this night was very good. I thought it was a. a Great way to kind of cap the tournament off. A lot of great angles. Uh, the the final was a great matchup. Uh, overall, the whole tournament, um, definitely not the best World Tag League that we've covered. Um, had, no, this was the this is the worst World Tag League we've ever covered. Yeah. Um, it, it, <laughs> it, had a, it had a hot start, the first uh, three start live nights, good. and then it just kind of uh, fell off a cliff from there, and then... Um, no, it, it was a challenge getting to these uh, these final shows here. Yeah, I thought the show was good because once it was here, it meant that the tag league was over, and I was <laughs> all about that. So uh, I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, question here from Reddit user just a little bear zero one. 
Uh, there's two things I noticed on the English commentary on the World Tag League Finals. I would love your take on one was the not-so-subtle jab that some of the team should take a serious look at themselves while endorsing for younger teams. Were they going into business for themselves, or do you think it was Gato suggested? I don't know when. Did you catch on to this? Because I'm not sure what he's referring to. Uh, it might it might have been during the like Nakanishi um, Nagata match against Tenkoji. Um, I, I'm not. I don't quite remember that line either. I mean, I don't know. I I don't. I didn't keep track of all the commentary, but I got to tell you, from what I do recall from that match, it seemed from that one in particular, it seemed like they were talking about how you know, well-traveled these guys were and how legendary they were and, like, that they still could go in the ring. Like, it didn't seem like they were guys that – they weren't using, like, that Vincism speak about, like, guys being past their prime or – Right, you yeah. know, It didn't It didn't come off like that to me. But um, I don't doubt – I don't doubt what you're saying. It's just I'm not sure which teams you're referring to because I didn't hear anybody say that myself. Right, um, and it, no. although – uh, you know, and if they if, when was saying that, I don't think it was a Gato um, thing. You know, the the English announce team. You know, from what we hear, they get kind of very like little notes on production stuff and kind of stuff that's happening throughout the night. So I feel like that was just them kind of giving their true, honest, uh, you know, feelings on whatever team it was. Well, they have to, you know, keep it kayfabe when it comes to their discussion. Like it's they they call it like a shoot in many regards, and it's very kayfabe oriented uh, because of the fact that they don't have a lot of notes. So, I mean, it's possible that they could have said something like that. Um, yeah, actually, I, I, I think uh, GBH might have been one of the teams that they said this about. Possibly, yeah. but I mean, at the same time, like you know, this. This company definitely just look at the past G1. There's a lot of uh, senior talent that could have been in the G1 that wasn't there. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of tag teams going forward that we didn't see in world tag leagues anymore. Um, you look at the standings and I mean, that will tell you everything you need to know about where they see a lot of these teams. Yeah. And so the second part of just a little bears question uh, so second, maybe I'm just reading way too much into this, but were there subtle hinting of Kenny Omega, the points of Coda being all in for his title match and ending the show by bidding the audience adieu? Sorry, not sorry. No, got long, but thoughts, gentlemen. Hmm. Um, did you catch him saying adieu during his uh, promo? Again, I, I did not catch this um so i'm not sure which like which show this was because clearly they didn't have the closing promo here it might have maybe it was on one of the backstage promos or another show where they may have vented so i didn't catch the ado and um uh i didn't catch the all-in reference either hmm. so but i i, I, I definitely I don't want to say too much like <laughs> i okay there's definitely been some hinting on the AEW side with Kenny when it comes to Kota Ibushi. That's like a given. I mean, you look at his match with uh, Mox and he, you know, went for the, um, for the Phoenix splash onto the wood. Uh, They even referred to that being, you know, a tribute to the golden star. And then there was that weird video package that came out, you know, that one week on 
uh, Dynamite, where like there was clearly a silhouette of Kota Ibushi holding the G1 title or the G1 trophy. So, and even beyond that, like Kenny has mentioned him in media several times. Um, on the Kota Ibushi side, it with with uh, you know, New Japan, I don't know. I haven't heard anything aside from the fact that they might have kept Kenny out of the try to keep him out of the country for ten <laughs> years. The only person I hear talk in New Japan talking about uh, Kenny Omega is uh, Harold Mai. <laughs> well, you know, there was also that one kind of interview where Kota Ibushi is like, "I've always been on myself." Kind of like a yeah. jab of like, yeah, <laughs> Kenny wasn't there for me, kind of thing. So, uh, the only the only thing I will say is like, without getting too much into detail, we had heard at some point some news that was related to both of these companies. Um, what it is, I don't feel like we're at liberty to discuss. But based on what I've seen, it doesn't seem like what we've been told would or wouldn't be happening at all. But could there be a possibility of them having a working relationship? I mean, Harold Mai even talked about during that uh, interview and conference call with uh, the uh, he did it with like an Australia paper, right? Yeah, the uh, in Fox Sports Australia, yeah, yeah, Fox Sports Australia, and he was like, you know, um, we're waiting to see what kind of like, you know. Um, success they have what what's going to happen for them long term he's like you know it'd be great to just jump into business with somebody but he's like but when we do it's usually long term and you know for life and you know they haven't even been around a year yet so that kind of was a little bit of a hopeful statement you know i wouldn't be surprised if down the line there was a chance that these two companies could work together yeah but um i don't think we'll be seeing kenny omega anytime soon so it could just be you know coda you know, just doing subtle hints there to, um, you know, these guys are workers. They know there's big money in a, you know, another Golden Lovers singles match there's, down the line. There's money in a match between them at some point for sure. Um, so then we have another question here from Muzza. He says, which teams over and underachieved points-wise in the World Tag League? Well, um, my number one underachieving team has to be Dangerous Techers. Yeah, from point wise, I mean, obviously they're they were one of the better teams, uh, match quality wise throughout the tournament. Uh, Saber is the you know current Rev Pro champ, Tai Chi former Never champ. I was expecting those guys to kind of be up in that. Uh, I mean, well, they had eighteen points actually. They're, they're the fifth place team. They, they ended with eighteen points, but they took so many early losses that it completely knocked them out of the tournament, and. At the end, like, sure, they ended up with 18, which is respectable, but they were completely out of striking distance. I would have liked to see them. I thought that they're one of the best teams in the tournament and that they needed to be over 20 and kind of be in that mix for potential winners or even spoilers. And they weren't really that in this tournament. Um, Another team that I think maybe kind of underperformed points wise is Suzuki and Archer, especially Mm. from a kayfabe standpoint. Right, um, and also uh, they know, had, being former uh, G1 Tag League winners. Yep. Those those would be my top two. I mean, they, they also ended with 18, but a lot of the points I made there were kind of the same similar points. Yeah, I think uh, overachieving team, I, I think Yano and Cabana uh, ending, uh, yep. ending with 18 points. I mean, 
going they could have definitely ended up with way less right they could have been that that 12 point even eight point range but um yeah i thought they did pretty good uh ending up there with 18 points um i kind of think uh kenta and yujiro and maybe even chase and fale ending with 16 and 12 is like a little bit of overachieving for both those teams <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> so yeah i wasn't really digging the the bullet club teams too much this tournament yeah um I think That's about it for me. I think you can potentially say Cobb and Nichols maybe kind of overachieved points wise. Uh, they ended with sixteen points. I mean, I could easily see them being on that kind of lower end. I guess so, but Cobb usually does well in 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 the ta- World Tag League. And he had a new, uh, you know, um, partner. I'm I'm not too surprised. Nice. Um, so to kind of wrap this thing up, so who is the uh, the MVP team? Of this tournament I uh, I don't know it's got to be Finjuice right yeah I would think so I mean they were pretty consistent throughout the whole tournament having really good matches and obviously they won the thing with like a great match in the final night of the tournament so yeah do you do you like even remember what the best match of this tournament was um it would probably be between down the 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 main event of this last night, Finjuice and Evil Sonata, and then one of the uh, the dangerous Tekker matches, um, like dangerous Tekkers maybe against Ishii Yoshihashi, maybe could be one that could be up for argument. Or the Suzuki and uh, um, Suzuki and Lance Archer match. Yeah. That could be one. We'll have to take a look, but like I feel like there was hardly anything over four stars this entire tournament. Yeah. So, so yeah, world tagging, man. Another <laughs> year come, another year gone. Yep. So that wraps up the 2019 world tagging. <sighs> so uh, following that, there was a Wrestle Kingdom press conference that happened um, 1 a.m. our time uh, following this world tag league show, and um, it. Uh, announced all the the matches for Wrestle Kingdom, and we had a bunch of questions that kind of came in before the press conference, kind of asking questions about the card. So I just want to give you guys a shout out. We had a question from Kenny Omega Fan eighteen saying, "What do you think some of the teams that we saw in the World Tag World Tag League will be doing at Wrestle Kingdom 14? My thoughts is that Michael Bay will defend the Never Open with Six Man Belt against Owens, Folly, and Takahashi. We had Asai Yojimbo saying. What do you see Shingo, Evil, Sonata, and Bushi doing at Wrestle Kingdom? Um, Becca on Twitter said, any wild guesses for Wrestle Kingdom matches that haven't been announced yet? Still hoping for Suzuki versus Shingo um, will happen, but what about other guys that don't have a place on the card yet? Evil, Ishii, Taichi, etc. Uh, Jenny Goon on Twitter saying, what are the chances of Moxley facing Archer and Suzuki on back-to-back nights at the Dome? And I like then, that name. Yeah, it's a good, cool name. And then um, Colin on Twitter Says it was the best show of the tournament. I have a question. What happens to Suzuki at Wrestle Kingdom? He deserves better than a Rumble appearance if they decide to do one, unless he wins, of course. So we're going to answer all those questions right now because we're going to go over the cards that were announced at the press conference this morning. So on January 4th, we have uh, the opening match is going to be the Liger retirement match one. With Liger, Fujinami, the great Sasuke, and Tiger Mask taking on Naoki Sano, Shinjiro Otani, uh, Takawa, and Risuke Taguchi. Then we'll have an eight-man, special eight-man tag. LIJ, consisting of Sonata, Evil, Shingo, and Bushi, will face the Suzuki-Goon team of Zack Sabre Jr., Minoru Suzuki, 
Taichi, and El Desperado. Then we'll have another special eight-man tag with Chaos taking on Bullet Club with Goto, Ishii, Toroyano, and Yoshihashi taking on Kenta, Bad Luck Fale, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens. Then we will have the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team title match with Girls of Destiny versus uh, Thin Juice. Then we will have the IWGP US title match in the Texas Death Match, Lance Archer versus John Moxley. We'll have the IWGP Junior title match with Will Ospreay versus Hiromu Takahashi. Then the semi-main event, the IWGP Intercontinental title match, Jay White versus Tetsuya Naito. And then the main event, the G1 winner, Kota Ibushi, will challenge Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP heavyweight title. And that's just night one. <laughs> and that's just night one. Um, and Jeez. Then for January 5th, we're going to open up with uh, Jutin Thunder Liger and Naoki Sano teaming up to take on the team of Ryu Lee and Hiromu Takahashi. We'll have the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles on the line as El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori defend against Rapungi 3K. Juice Robinson will face the winner of Lance Archer and John Moxley for the IWGP U.S. Championship. Zack Sabre Jr. will defend the Rev Pro British title against Sonata. Kenta will defend the Never Openweight title against Hiroki Goto. Then we will have the Constellation match with the two non-champions facing off against each other. Then Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Chris Jericho. And the main event, the double title match for the IWGP Heavy and Intercontinental titles. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, kind of overall thoughts on um, these cards. Two, two eight-match cards. Uh, man, yeah, there's a, a lot to kind of discuss here. And thank you for the... Uh, the question you guys posed to us before these cards were announced, that's greatly appreciated. Um, you know, there's a lot to kind of discuss here. I mean, I guess we could start with Liger. So, um, you know, lots of people were kind of surprised at, uh, you know, the really uh, video. I, I'm not disappointed by this match whatsoever. I've seen some disappointment and I actually feel like, some of the disappointment comes from a couple places. A, I think a lot of people were expecting because we're getting a big multi-man match the first night that was nostalgia-based, that we'd be getting some sort of one-on-one -on -one situation with Liger. However, um, you know, we're getting Liger against Naoki Sano, which is maybe his most heated rival from of all time, and the guy that helped establish Liger as a top like level character and um you know junior level like star in new japan and that's sort of what dragon lee and hiromu had to do for one another uh over the past like three or four years since their feud started like 2015 and so it's kind of like you've got the two best guys from the past teaming up to take on the two best guys of the future so i i like this matchup what i don't really love is that we got like a video the night before but then Hiromu's kind of alluded to, but then it's kind of like in the air. And so it, it's not a good payoff because you, you it makes you think that you're getting Dragon Lee and Liger. And then they turn around. It feels like bait and switch to a lot of people because you're getting Sano and Liger against Dragon Lee and Hiromu. And so people feel shortchanged. But the reality is it's a fantastic matchup and it's probably a really fitting finale for him. But people don't see it that way because 
New Japan did another weird promotional thing that sometimes they they do weird stuff like this. And I don't get it. Right, and um, you know how it kind of ended at World Tag League Final. It sounded like it was going to be a, a three way. Yeah, know, Liger versus Ryu versus Hiromu. Um, Which I was not a big fan of. I was not a fan of. I was like, I don't, I don't like that at all. Like, yeah, like it, it might sound great. Obviously, you know, having you know Hiromu and uh, Ryu facing off again. But if if they were going to do something, I would have. I kind of wanted a one on one match for Liger. You know, I was very excited about the potential of Liger versus Ryu Lee as a kind of one on one match at, on January fifth. But then we got. I was ready for them to do like the gauntlet, like give them each guy for like two minutes or whatever, and just run it. You know. Yeah, but you know, I do um, like this match here. Like you mentioned, Liger and Sano against Ryu Lee and Hiromu. It's a kind of a generational kind of match here. You have you know two great juniors from the past. Like you mentioned, Sano played a crucial part in Liger's career, and then you kind of got these two kind of juniors of the future. Uh, you know, Ryu Lee and Hiromu. And, you know, they're kind of, you know, rivals and they're probably going to be continuing to rival against each other uh, throughout, you know, Rio Lee's one year contract period. Yep. So um, I think that's a big talking point. Um, I'm excited for that. Um, I don't really have any. I'm sure we're going to preview this in the future. I don't have big thoughts about the junior tag title match. I feel like that's great. But I think and the same thing with. um, you know, with both tag title matches, I think that the one thing I will say is we're getting straight, you know, two on two tag matches in both divisions with um, two pretty well built matches based off of their tournaments. So I think that's I think that's a good deal as opposed to getting these overbooked multi team uh, matches that we've gotten in the past. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, that that should be pretty good. Yeah, typically, you know, in the past with that junior tag title, we get those uh, four ways of guys like the you know, Young Bucks and um, Seidel and Ricochet and um, Red Dragon and uh, Rapungi Vice. But so it's kind of good to kind of see a straight up tag for that, and also for the heavyweight tags. So I think another talking point we need to talk about is um, these two eight man tags on night one. Well- I wanted to get to that, but I wanted to kind of jump off of the heavyweight tag and talk about the the U.S. title situation involving Juice Robinson. Okay. Because Juice has got a heavyweight title tag team opportunity, but then the next night he's got an IWGP United States title opportunity as well. So he might also be walking out as double champion of the Dome on January. <laughs> yeah that yeah that that could possibly happen um yeah you know I, and I'm, I'm quite confused here why they're they kind of like how this match like pretty much came, came out of nowhere like juice right hasn't really done anything to earn a you know u.s title rematch he lost to uh archer in that kind of you know vacant title match they had there once moxley had to vacate the belt and he's been in a tag team tournament this whole time, won the World Tag League, but hasn't done anything in a singles ranking to truly kind of earn this rematch here. Well, I think it, to me, it tells me everything I need to know about what's probably happening on January 5th. I don't know who's, I don't, I think that there's a good chance we'll see two title changes back to back with the U.S. belt, in my opinion. Uh, I think the main reason that Juice is getting a title shot is because they want to, they want to do the payoff that they were supposed to do with John Moxley. 
And uh, so I think we're going to get a Moxley versus Juice match on January 5th. And the Texas death match, I think the whole reason it's a Texas death match is like as a thank you to Lance Archer for stepping into that role in the time being while Moxley wasn't here. But I'm pretty sure that's the send off. So um, I think it's super out of left field, like you mentioned, because Juice didn't really earn that shot because he he lost his shot. To Archer. <laughs> right. And especially so it's kinda crazy. Since there are other people on this card who could have benefited from a singles match uh, that are kind of, you know, forced into other matches, that, that juice spot could have gone to somebody else. Yeah, they didn't have to do a second US title match back to back. And that's why I'm pretty sure we're getting mocks on both nights to kind of because he's a big star. And I think that's what's happening. Yeah. So so that kind of but let's talk about those eight mans. Yeah, so that kind of segues perfectly into these eight mans because we have a lot of guys in these eight mans that could potentially have been in one on one matches. So in that, uh, and some of them are. Yeah. So in, in the Lij versus Suzuki Yun match, so um, no one on one match for Evil Shingo or Bushi, and no one on one match for Suzuki Taichi or El Desperado. Yeah. So. Um... Zack Sabre Jr. and Sonata will be facing off the, the next night for the British Openweight title, which is cool. Uh, that's a good match, and it's been built pretty well, and so I'm looking forward to that. And you got to imagine that this eight-man tag is pretty much uh, going to be a build to that match on the second night. But at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, eight-man tag. Like, yeah, they've done that. They have done that at Wrestle Kingdoms before, so don't get me wrong. It's not like they've never done that. But, man, it's been a long time, and they've got a really big roster right now, and it seems like in the past I, – I don't know. I, I would much rather see a six-man open-weight gauntlet, be, even though this might end up being better because it's an eight-man tag, and they're great at doing those in New Japan. And there's probably some some people who would rather see that. I like the idea of ha- having a match that has stakes on the line on the biggest show of the year. And this to me doesn't have any stakes. It's just a preview match. So it's kind of like a road to show to, to a certain degree. Right, right. I don't like, I don't like that idea or like a destruction in like Hiroshima or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, I would, I would much, I I'm not opposed to them finding something to do for some of the guys that were left out, whether it be a Rambo, whether it be a gauntlet or something else, but, have a stake involved is my thing if it's going to be Wrestle Kingdom. That's that's my opinion anyways. Right. And, you know, they did tease um, before the World Tag League Tour, Shingo versus Minoru Suzuki. And both of these guys are facing off opposite sides in this eight-man tag. And, you know, that, that Juice Robinson spot on night two, that could have gone to a, a Shingo-Suzuki singles match. Yeah. Uh, it could have gone to any, and we're, we're going to talk about the other eight man tag. I mean, there's some other guys that were also left out, but I mean, that's definitely a possibility. Um, and I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. That's, I, I pretty much said my piece on it. Like I'm, I'm just a little surprised because they are, they're usually really good at finding something that has stakes involved. I, I, I gotta say though, I do trust the booking in new Japan. So maybe long term. This might be a match that sets things up post Wrestle Kingdom going into like uh, New Beginning or going into New Year's Dash, possibly. Right. 
And so the the other uh, eight man tag is also pretty much a preview for uh, Goto and Kenta the next night. So that leaves Ishii, Toriyano, and Yoshihashi without um, singles match, and Bad Luck Fale, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens without singles. Yeah. Match. Now I have this strong feeling though that maybe we might end up getting the guys who are in these matches who aren't in singles matches. They might end up throwing on a six man gauntlet. With say Ishii, Yano, and Yoshihashi against Fale, Takahashi, and Owens against Shingo, Evil, and Bushi against Suzuki, Taichi, and Desperado. And they could all pretty much go up against. Well, I guess that wouldn't work because Toriyano's one of the never champions, right? Right. Yano, Makabe, and um, Taguchi. But I'm pretty sure they, they could find another Chaos guy to join that team. And then they could do the gauntlet. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing that the next night. Even though it's not announced now. Yeah. I mean, it's the six-man gauntlet. They kind of just throw stuff together and do it sometimes. Right. And but, we, we haven't had any. There's no Sansa pre-show or matches announced. So that could potentially be a pre-show on night two. There could still be a Rambo. There could still be a six-man gauntlet match. It's possible. But yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly what we mentioned. Like Goto and Kenta ends up being a this eight man ends up being a preview for Goto and Kenta. Same thing with the match below it. Um, and at the same time, it's also kind of like, well, I know people don't want to hear it, but like Goto and Kenta was always going to be the plan. And so there's a lot of people that are upset because they're not getting Shibata. And maybe it wasn't a good idea for New Japan to. Uh, have so much physicality. I don't know. I, there's a part of me that kind of thinks that maybe they were hoping for the possibility of Shibata to get cleared. And maybe they just like jumped the gun too quick and they couldn't get that clearance. And this was like the second best thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Or maybe this was just the plan the whole time. And it could have been, they just wanted to use Kenta attacking Shibata to just get heat. That's definitely a possibility. And I think that's still a good story. And I think the match will be good. And, and all that, but like, you know, a lot of people disagreed with me when I told them, I was like, you're not probably going to see Shibata wrestle again. And who knows, you know, if later on he wrestles and, you know, Rich Latta wants to make a, a rant video and, you know, start off by playing my voice saying like, you're probably never going to see this guy wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fine. And I hope I am wrong, but um, I, I got, I don't think Shibata is ever wrestling again. And I've been saying it for a long time, and I've never really jumped off of it. And I mean, you can attest to this, Jeremy. I've been saying it for a couple years now. The guy's not wrestling again. Right. And, you know, I think they were just kind of using that relationship with Goto and just the fact of, you know, people knowing the kind of state he's in and how dastardly it would be for Kenta to turn his back on him, to attack him and get physical with him. And I, I but I really think they should have just done the one big angle they did that set up the Kenta turn and Kenta joining Bullet Club, and that should have been it. There shouldn't have been another uh, angle there with Shibata getting physical. Yeah, I mean, some of the – this is all, per, like, new territory for New Japan. Like, we talk about how great of a company they are when it comes to booking long-term, and they are, but it's also the first time they've had two nights to do Wrestle Kingdom, so it's sort of an experiment and a learning curve for them. So there's been some weird build to some of this, and I, I think they're doing the best that they possibly can. But, you know, there are some criticisms. You know, the, the, the Liger match, his final match, had a weird kind of weirdish build. 
Juice getting a U.S. title shot when that could be a, a singles match for somebody else. There's there's positive and negative. I mean, I am glad Juice is getting that U.S. title spot that he was supposed to get against Mox, and he'll probably walk out as champion, which is a good opportunity for him. Great, but you know, it's coming at the expense of other wrestlers, which is unfortunate. And then I just think that these two eight man tags, I'm not opposed to them if afterwards we end up getting a gauntlet match out of it or something else involving the other guys. And I mean, there could be angles that are done in these matches that lead to either something the next night or something for new year's dash. Yeah. But I mean, you look at the card, I mean, it's already top heavy with a lot of singles matches. So they're not going to get a lot of time. These matches probably aren't going to be like anything crazy, you know? So, I mean, um, I think the biggest complaint people have is just how many, you know, perceived stars, you know, your Ishii's, your, uh, you know, Shingo's and Taichi, Minoru Suzuki, guys like that are not getting singles matches at Wrestle Kingdom. But again, it's, it's just one of those things. They, this is one of the most stacked rosters in the entire company. It's the biggest show of the year. Yeah. They've got two days, but they've got limited time and people are going to, not get as many opportunities because of that. So, I mean, that's just kind of the way it, it happens, you know, uh, unfortunately. Um, moving on from that, any other surprises? We Obviously, we knew about the double title matches. We knew about Osprey and Hiromu. Um, I think it's one thing to point out, um, you know, Sonata being the only other guy from LIJ getting a singles match. So, you know, all the work they did this year to get Sonata over and elevate him, we're seeing that payoff here with um, Sonata being the other other guy besides Naito in that faction getting a singles match. Yeah. Um, overall, I got to say, I I think that these two cards, they they still, they look really incredible top to bottom. Um, it might not be exactly what I had wanted or what you'd wanted or whoever, but they were never going to do that anyways. They always had their own plans. It's never going to be exactly what the fan base, they can't make everybody happy. But I'm not. I really won't be surprised if at the end of this we turn around and talk about how legendary these two nights are. So it looks really good to me, honestly. Yeah, I think these are going to be two great shows, two great cards overall. We're going to get a lot of great matches. It's going to kick off 2020 in a great way. Uh, so we have a lot of questions here. Uh, first from Reddit user Just a Little Bear Zero One, assuming Kenta retains the Never Belt at Wrestle Kingdom. How are we feeling about Suzuki getting a shot? Their exchanges on the final nights were gold. Yeah, um, I think that would be great. Um, I w- That's a match that I'd really like to see. Um, I, I, w- I wouldn't be too surprised if they end up doing that, um, you know, down the line. It's definitely a possibility, but I don't know. I feel like it's a weird story if, if, um, I don't know. What do you think? I, I guess it's too early to do our predictions, but like I kind of felt like Kenta was losing, but I guess since it's Goto and it's not Shibata, <laughs> <laughs> Kenta retaining is definitely a real possibility. <laughs> True. Um, I would love to see a Kenta Suzuki singles match down the line, whether it's for the title or not. But if Kenta does retain, I do think they could potentially, that could be a title defense, you know, a new beginning and wherever, uh, new beginning in Tampa, <laughs> uh, Kenta versus Suzuki for the never title uh, could be yeah, a possibility. Yeah. 
So we have another question here from uh, Rich. He said, should Ishii just retire or go freelance now? Being the best clearly ain't working for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a tough break for, you know, Rich and all the Ishii fans out there. Um, Ishii, he's a guy who's had, always has incredible years. You know, one of the MVPs of the company. You look throughout, you know, the the match of the year, the strong style fight of the year list, and, um, you know, the Carl Gotch Award. Ishii's all over there with his performances he's had this year. But uh, for whatever reason, you know, he never gets, you know, the shine he deserves and um, just being here in an eight-man tag. Yeah, Ishii in many ways has a lot of similarities, I feel like, to, say, Cesaro in WWE for those listeners who aren't as familiar with the product uh, who are just jumping in, you know, not only just a utility guy, but like maybe your top hand, maybe your most talented all around performer, <laughs> but they never will go with him. Just like WWE has never gone with Cesaro and like, yeah, he gets his big wins from time to time over top stars. And yeah, he's always consistently great, but like they just don't go with him. That's kind of the deal with DCE. I wouldn't say it's exactly that because Ishii definitely gets pushes. You know, he definitely gets titles and he definitely is a prominent featured, you know, guy, especially over the past few years. But yeah, I mean, come Wrestle Kingdom time, he has gotten kind of shafted the last couple of years. Um, he's not getting a singles match. We, we discussed, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, Shingo's not getting a, a title match this year and he's a, he's got, you know, top future star written all over him, um, all over him. Um, Taichi's not, Suzuki's not. So, you know, that that's just kind of the way that it is. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people who are upset about it, and I'm not particularly happy either. But, you know, that's just the way it is, I guess. Right, yeah. I, I would have loved to, you know, see Ishii in some kind of uh, single situation here if he wasn't going to be in the tag title match. And once again, that, that Juice Robinson spot, that second title match, um, definitely kind of ate up a spot that could, could have potentially have gone to an Ishii singles match or it's a, a Suzuki or Shingo singles match. Um, but, you know, that's that's the way the card is. That's how, that's how the, the cards kind of fell here. And, you know, at least Ishii is on the card. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish that they could have found something for him. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, Rich. They should have found something for him. They didn't. Um, it's not a perfect company that does suck. So, I mean, I, there's not much more we can say about it. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next questions from uh, Reddit user K10 Mioli. He's got four questions here. Oh God. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first he says, what do you think happens after double get double gold dash? What does NJPW do with the intercontinental belt after Wrestle Kingdom? And where do the three losers fit into that picture? Uh, sure. So I think, I've held this opinion for a while now. I think that the the white belt will be um, vacated very shortly after all this is over. That's just my opinion. I don't see them going with any of the other scenarios. I think that the winner will just vacate it. Uh, as far as where the losers fit into that picture, whoever loses both matches is going to be on some sort of redemption story arc. Uh, how long that lasts, who knows? <laughs> um I'm assuming in the, in this case that uh, I, I believe that Okada is not walking out of the dome with his gold. So that's that you got to imagine that he's going to be somewhere near the top when it comes to the new Japan card. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on what, who you think's winning. I think Naito's winning, so I think that most of those guys are still going to be at the top of the card and still circulating circulating around him, you know, post dome. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I definitely agree. I think we're going to see that yeah, that that white strap being vacated. We're going to get some some kind of tournament or you know some kind of you know play in match or something that's going to happen potentially on this new beginning tour get a new Intercontinental Champion. You'll have Naito as, um, you know, the IWGP Champion, and I'm sure they will set up rematches with some of those guys that were in the double gold dash, um, and then just, and maybe some of those guys just kind of feuding with each other. You know, maybe the Okada-Bushi feud kind of continues afterwards because it's kind of gotten personal, and you kind of do something there. Maybe you do something, you know, maybe Jay White's like Naito's first challenger, potentially, and uh, seeing that he's like you know beating him like three times in a row, um, so a lot of stuff they can do there. Yep. Um, his next question was, "Am I the asshole for wishing Liger's Legends matches were on a retirement show instead of taking up space on the Wrestle Kingdom cards?" Uh, simple answer: uh, Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, respectfully, I say yes, you are, sir. Um, main reason being. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to assume that you're a newer fan because I could be wrong in saying that you might not be, but I feel like this is the type of opinion that a newer fan might have about someone like Liger or maybe somebody who's just like, I'm here for great matches solely. And, you know, I don't care so much about like the legacy sort of aspect. Does that sound about right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong in that. I don't want to assume too much, but I feel like for if 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 it is newer fans who are like, I don't really care about this because Liger's like a really popular guy, but he doesn't have great matches. You're kind of missing the point. Liger is literally the single greatest junior in the history of professional wrestling. That includes Rey Mysterio Jr. And that's just a fact. He's the greatest junior of all time. And he's the most enduring legend that New Japan Pro Wrestling has had. I mean, the dude's 55 years old. He's been wrestling since the early 80s. And he deserves to get this kind of send-off on the biggest show of the year. Um, You know, I know it's not a singles match like people wanted, but, I mean, no one would have said, like, Ric Flair didn't deserve his send-off. People wouldn't say that. You know, Shawn Michaels didn't deserve his send off on the big shows. And I know that, that, that they were compelling matches, but like they deserved it just as much as Liger deserves it. So, yeah, no, he shouldn't be having this match at Cork and Hall. <laughs> right. You know, in, in between, you know, in between tours, like, you know, that's not that's not the move, Chief. And like, that's a that's a that's a bad take. Like, and you know what? Like Liger's probably going to work really, really, really freaking hard during that tag match. And, you know, who knows? It might end up being great. Yeah, and I think, you know, clearly Liger has had a hand in what he's wanted for both of his retirement matches. So this is the way he wants to go out, and I think he deserves to kind of go out and have matches on both nights. So, You know what's the funny thing is, like, Liger's a big enough star that if Liger over the past decade had been, like, at one point, he even booked the junior division. Could have booked he when when he was booking, he never put himself on top. He could have literally booked and put himself on top for years and years and years, given given himself all the main event spots, given himself title title runs, you know, done all that. 
you know, he's a big enough star at this point where like over the past couple of years, he could have really pushed himself, but the guy doesn't, you know what I mean? Like the guy doesn't like, he took himself out of the super juniors, him and tiger mask never even win matches during, <laughs> during the junior tag league. Like he puts over every new champion, he put over Kushida, he put over Ishimori, put over, you know, everybody, you know, and then, so yeah, he deserves the big matches on the final night of his career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so his, yes. his uh, next question was What matches would you have liked to see on the Wrestle Kingdom cards that we didn't get? <sighs> That's tough. I mean, there's a lot of options there. I think, well, speaking of Liger, I think there are people who would have wanted, I think the big match most people wanted was him and Hiromu one on one. Yeah. Um, um, like I mentioned earlier, Suzuki and Chingo was something I was kind of banking on based off the interactions they were having in those multi-mans. That's something I really wanted to see here. And that's one, I think people also earlier in the year were hoping to see Suzuki and John Moxley. And that seemed like it was a possibility. Um, you know, there was any number of opponents for Shingo. I'm sure that there were also, you know, situations where people wanted to see Ishii. I mean, who, who would you have liked to see Ishii go up against, I guess? And that's maybe John Moxley. Yeah. Ishii, yeah I run, think that's one run that back. Um, trying to think who else. I mean, Ishii and Shingo, they could have run back if they didn't do Shingo Suzuki. Um, yeah. I mean, overall, I'm pretty happy with most of the matches we're getting. I just wish that they, they'd kind of built and placed some of this stuff a little bit differently. Yeah. I hope we're still, I hope we get a Rambo or a gauntlet one or the other. I like them. I don't care. I hope we get that. <laughs> And so his last question, having the U.S. title defended both nights of Wrestle Kingdom elevates the red strap in time for New Japan of America shows in 2020. Who do you think will hold the title after the weekend is over? Uh, I think it's going to be Juice Robinson. Yeah, I mean, just kind of based off of the kind of story there and just kind of, you know, getting that Mox Juice match that we were supposed to get um, what show was that? Um, King of Pro Wrestling? Yeah, King of Pro Wrestling. Uh, due to the, the, the storm there that prevented Moxley from getting into the country, you know, clearly that was going to be a big spot. And I th- I'm pretty sure Juice was going to win the title back there. But, you know, cards up with the change. Um, they had to put Archer in there, and it probably didn't make sense to just beat Archer there. So give Archer the yep. strap and get him over and then – um, you know, you have Mox kind of come in and get the belt back that he never truly lost, and then you can do that big match second night, Mox and Juice, and then Juice can get his comeuppance on Moxley, and then he walks out of the Dome, tag champ and U.S. champ. They they tried to have a moment last year where Cody dropped the title to him in the Dome, and uh, quite frankly, the match really didn't deliver um, due to a myriad of reasons, you know, time as well as health reasons on Cody's behalf. So that was kind of a big disappointment on last year's Dome show. Seems like maybe they're trying to still do the same thing because they're trying to give uh, Juice that big run. Um, so, yeah, uh, hopefully second time's the charm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of John Moxley, question here from Sir Sam. He says, do you think John Moxley stays beyond Wrestle Kingdom? If so, what do you think slash hope the long-term plan for him might be? I think, uh, well, based on, uh, we talked about it last week on the show that he 
plans to continue to wrestle in Japan. He didn't say wrestle for New Japan. He said just in Japan, but I would assume that means wrestling for New Japan because they're the largest company. Um, unless something were to change between the relationship with AEW and them, who knows? But yeah, I think he's going to keep showing up. Um, I don't know how involved he really can be realistically, given the demands that his schedule has on him when it comes to uh, television and the pay-per-views and media and everything like that. So it's probably going to be a more reduced role. I don't know if we see him do G1s anymore, but I wouldn't be surprised for him to come in and do the big shows or maybe a short tour here and there, like a three or four day tour. That wouldn't surprise me, but um, yeah, I think he'll be a player and I think he's got a lot of money still left to be made, but I don't see him as being like a, a, a regular in the sense of like that. He's there consistently throughout the year. Right. And I, I pretty much agree with you. You know, those tours are kind of have like the weekend loops. I can see him doing like, you know, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of thing. So he could be back in time for Wednesdays for uh, Dynamite. Um, I do think we'll see him more often than we see like a, a Chris Jericho. Uh, and, you know, I could see Moxley getting an IWGP title match at some point this year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he challenges for that or any other title. I mean, he's a guy who you could uh, put him in the IC title mix. You could put him in the Never title mix. You could put him in the U.S. or the, the World Heavyweight. He doesn't need a belt to be made into a star. Right. He's a star without the belt. Adding him to any title match you have elevates that title picture. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's good to go. Yeah, I, I would just like to see him stay out of the U.S. title picture after this just because if he's a champion, he can't defend the belt on U.S. shows. So I agree, and that's why I don't think he's he's winning the belt for that specific reason. Right. Well, I don't think he's going to hold it post-January 5th. Right. Um, so another Mox question here from front of the show, Dan Coffin. He says, do you think Mox's simultaneous pursuit of the NJPW U.S. title and the AEW world title elevates the prestige of the U.S. title, diminishes the AEW title, or do you feel we should just treat this like there are two Moxleys running around Marvel Comics multiverse <laughs> style? Uh, that's a great question. I actually, it's probably my favorite question of the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, last year, um, Cody Rhodes was the NWA world heavyweight champion and the U S champion simultaneously. And to some degree, I feel like, yeah, maybe that did, um, elevate the U S title in some regards because you had a big star who was also a champion elsewhere holding it, you know? And so that's definitely a possibility, but I don't know to what degree. It does feel very heavily like New Japan and AEW are not even acknowledging one another when it comes to titles. So for that reason, I think that your uh, analogy of there being two Moxleys, that's a really good, that's probably exactly how many people should think of it in some degrees. Because, I mean, you think about it, it's like, okay, there it, he's, it's the paradigm shift. Here, it's, he's the death rider. You know, they're right. pretty much they're pretty much the same guy, but it's kind of different. Honestly, it's sort of like the situation you see with MJF being like a, a big star in AEW and then kind of like a minor player in uh, MLW. And he's, you know, in both companies. Um, Dan, you should probably know about this. I mean, Dan's been watching for a long time. I mean, used to kind of see this sort of thing, like in the territory days, a guy would wrestle in multi multiple territories simultaneously and 
have completely different characters or like Andre is a good example. I mean, Andre in Japan, always a heel. Andre in America, always a face until 87. But prior to that, always a face, you know, completely different guys. So, I mean, that's kind of how I look at it, honestly. Yeah, I think it's probably the best way to look at it just based on how things are being booked and as far as uh, elevation of the U.S. title, I think just, you know, a guy, the star caliber of a John Moxley going after the U.S. title, uh, elevates the title. You know, a top guy like that wanting that belt, I think, definitely helps um, elevate it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, great question. Um, oh, I want to say also, I mean, Jericho, look at Jericho. Right. Great example. Um Question from Muzza. Do you see them announcing any pre-show matches for both nights? I do. Um, they don't have to, but I, I really am not, wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing either both. I think that they could do a Rambo or a gauntlet or both. The gauntlet would make more sense on the second night, but I think the Rambo does too, because you want to include a lot of like legends and stuff like that. And, if you have most of those legends in the first, you know, wrestling against uh, in the Liger match on the first night, then maybe that's something they could do on the second night, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's also the rumors of a stardom match that would be happening on um, a dark match, a, pre- a pre-show match. So there's potential so one maybe, of these nights. Yeah. I Then that's probably my guess. I think maybe the first night you get the stardom tag. And then the second night you get a gauntlet six man because the gauntlet match, the the six man, never six man open weight belts are the only belts that aren't being defended in the company. And they almost always are. So I bet you during the pre-show on the second night, they end up getting defended. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Last question here. William Johnson said, is it crazy to think Finjuice might actually dethrone G.O.D.? Are death matches very rare in NJPW? If so, why do you think NJPW is going with that stipulation, especially at Wrestle Kingdom? I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to the match. I was just surprised to see a death match stipulation added. So two questions, both kind of about Juice, I guess. Yeah. So the first question, you know, Finn uh, Juice uh, beating God, uh, I, I definitely think there's a chance. And um, you know, with Juice getting that U.S. title match the second night, I've it, it makes you kind of doubt. Right. I feel I have a hard time thinking that they would beat Juice on the first night and then he's going to go into the second night and win the belt. So I do see uh, Finn Juice um, getting that win against G.O.D. and then kind of riding that momentum into the U.S. title match. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, Hulk Hogan lost his title shot at WrestleMania 9 to Money, Inc. and then still walked out with the gold strap at the end of the night. Mm, true. <laughs> you know, and so I mean that's always a possibility, and it kind of depends on how they book the match. I mean, I'm not advocating for shenanigans, but who knows? Maybe Finn Juice gets screwed, and they look strong, and they you know are still owed a title shot down the road based on the way it all goes. Who knows? I I'm not sold on the idea that they beat God. I think they should because I think that. I just like the idea. Like you went all the way with these guys. You gave them the, t- the tournament win. You might as well just pull the trigger at this point. God have been champions for a very long time now. So they, they don't really need the belts going forward. But then again, I'm not crazy about the idea of juice having two titles. Yeah. Although, you know, new Japan is one of the, 
they don't constantly have title defenses. So they are one of the companies that's good at spacing those out. You know, it's not the work. And plus they don't really care about the tag division that much anyway. So it's, it, sh- it should be fine. Right. And, but, I mean, um, and we've seen situations in the past where they've kind of gotten behind people and had them on a big tournament and they end up losing the title match. And like, um, you know, I was uh, binge, binge watching a lot of Matt Seidel matches this weekend and, you know, they were pushing Matt Seidel and Ricochet super hard. They won the Super Junior Tag League and got into the Wrestle Kingdom title match. And I was like, oh, they, you know, they should be, oh, these guys are over. They won the tournament. They should win the match. And then uh, the Young Bucks ended up winning the match. And eventually Ricochet and Seidel ended up winning the tag belts. But, um, you know, they got them over, but they didn't put the belts on them right then and there. Yeah. So, I mean, they might not win. It's possible. I mean, that that's one I'm not sold on. I'm way more certain that... I feel very strongly that he's winning the U.S. title. That's just my opinion. Yeah, um, and we'll, for a lot of for a lot of political reasons. Yeah, and we'll of course we'll have our official you know preview and prediction show in a, a couple of weeks as we get closer to uh, Wrestle Kingdom. So now, as far as death matches, um, so I mean they've actually had true Japanese style death matches in New Japan, although they're extremely rare. Uh, pretty much just. Onita. Um, <laughs> he had one with uh, Kijimuto as the great Muda against uh, the great Nita. They also had one between himself and um, Masahiro Chono. Both those matches were in the dome, I believe. And then they have had other, I think they have had a Texas death match before. I'm, I remember there being one with like uh, Toki Magabe and I think like it might have been Fale. Um, when both guys were a lot better and more mobile. Um, so, or it, you know, even if it wasn't a Texas death match, they've had matches like that, but yes, they're extremely, any type of hardcore element, no DQ death match style match in new Japan is extremely rare. And I, I think the main reason that they're doing it at wrestle kingdom is because of the fact that it's Lance Archer and he's from Texas and with the type of student of the game that Mox is, that's probably a match he wants to have with a guy from Texas who's paying tribute to uh <laughs> to the Von Erics. So that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it. Should be great. So that's gonna do it for those questions regarding uh Wrestle Kingdom. But it looks like we've got a couple uh announced uh nights for the road to the Tokyo Dome. Yep. So they went ahead and announced the uh the three cards for the three nights of the Road to Tokyo Dome shows. So on uh, Thursday, December 19th, we're going to have Makabe, Hanma, Taguchi, and Rocky Romero against Liger, Tiger Mask 4, Yotosuji, and Yuji Yamura, Juice Robinson, David Finley, and Toa Hanare against G.O.D. and Fale, Sonata and Evil against Dangerous Techers, Goto, Ishii, and Rapungi 3K against Kenta, Yujiro, Taichi, and El Phantasmo, Ibushi and Tanahashi versus Naito and Shingo, Okada and Yoshihashi versus JY and Chase. And the main event of night one will be the Birds of Prey versus Hiromu and Bushi. Nice. uh, Night two, December 20th, we have Toa Hanare versus Yotosuji, Great Bash Heel and Yumura versus Fale, Ishimori, and Phantasmo, Liger and Rapungi 3K against Tiger Mask 4, Taguchi and Rocky, Sonata and Shingo versus Dangerous Techers, Goto, Ishii, and Finjuice versus Kenta, Yujiro, and G.O.D. Ibushi and Tanahashi versus Jay White and Chase Owens. And the main event that night will be Naito, Evil, Hiromu, and Bushi 
versus Okada, Yoshihashi, and Birds of Prey. Which brings us to the final night, December 21st. We have Makabe, Tiger Mask, Yuyamura versus Hanma, Taguchi, and Suji. Rapungi 3K and Eagles versus Ishimori, Phantasmo, and Yujiro. Sonata and Bushi versus Dangerous Techers. Goto, Finjuice versus Toa Hanare. Or Goto, Finjuice, and Toa Hanare versus Kenta, G.O.D., and Fale. Osprey and Ishii versus Hiromu and Evil. Naito and Chingo versus Jay White and Chase. And then the main event will be Okada, Yoshihashi, and Rocky Romero versus Ibushi, Tanahashi, and Jushin Thunder Liger, which will be Liger's last Cork and Hall match. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So there's a lot of good stuff here. Obviously, there's no, there's hardly any uh, singles matches. Um, the one announced singles matches, Hanari and Yotasuji, which actually might be pretty good. Yeah. Um, but the one thing of note that I think is interesting here, and it's something that I've been saying they need to do more of, and they're finally going to be doing that, is more build towards the potential matches for the double uh, title dash. So, you know, night one, you're getting Okada in a tag team match against Jay White and uh, another partner. And on the other side, you're getting Ibushi and Naito tagging against one another. And then on night two, you're getting the uh, uh, eight-man tag with Naito and Okada opposite one another. And then a straight tag with Ibushi and Jay White opposite. And then finally, night three, Okada and Ibushi opposite one another in a six-man with uh, Naito and Jay White opposite. So you're getting a preview on each night of the various different combinations that exist. I'm assuming along with that, you're going to get a lot of angles, probably uh, promos and standoffs and things like things of that nature. So that's the one thing that does kind of have me excited. Usually the preview matches, I don't care so much about leading up to the Tokyo Dome because you know what the deal is. But here, because we don't know what the deal is, we kind of get a chance to see what all the potential outcomes could be. And so it gives them a little more creative freedom. I'm excited about that. Yeah, so it'd be really fun, and we will uh, talk more about these shows uh, next week and kind of give predictions as we uh, head into those shows, um, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So we'll talk about those shows more next week. Um, before we get into the news, we did have one last question here from uh, Amen on Twitter. It says, after the Herald May uh, said he was open to working with AEW and the NJPW YouTube account using Kenny as a thumbnail in one of their videos, do you think the relationship between the two started to get better and a chance of working together is getting bigger? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure. I, I wasn't, sh- who's Harold? Harold May. Okay. I, I think he, uh, uh, he just misspelled uh, his name there. Okay. So Harold May. Yeah. And I'd mentioned earlier that, um, Harold May had talked about being open to it. Although publicly, New Japan has never said that they're not open to it. Th- that's something we've heard more behind the scenes as opposed to publicly. Um, I w- I'm not sure what he's talking about when he says that YouTube account is using Kenny as the thumbnail. Have you have you uh, seen that? I have not seen that. So I'm guessing they've uploaded something recently that has Kenny. I don't know if it's like a free match or something or was it? Maybe it was always the case though, because I mean Kenny was a big part of the YouTube account. Oh you know, the U S YouTube account opening. So I don't know if that's a recent addition or if that, maybe that's always been there. Um, I, we we haven't heard any recent news that there'd be any 
um, involvement with the two companies with one another, honestly. And I, I have no reason to believe that they will be. Um, you know, we'd heard something in the past that never ended up being substantiated, so we never reported it. But I mean, is it possible? It's always possible. But um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that's been corroborated publicly or privately to suggest otherwise. Yeah, I'm, and I'm scrolling through the YouTube uh, feed right here, and I'm not seeing uh, anything with uh, Kenny's face on it, so I'm not quite sure which, where he saw that thumbnail. But um, again, I don't think anything's going to be happening anytime in the future. Um, we won't be seeing Kenny in New Japan for a while, um, if at all. But never say never in wrestling business, and something potentially could happen in the future. There's too much money left on the table to not do Kenny matches in the future. That that's what a lot of this really just boils down to. Yeah. People want Kenny back and I'm sure at some point we will see him when the time is right. So that's going to take us into the news. So starting with uh New Japan news, the uh Tokyo Dome Tokyo Dome tickets went on sale on December 3rd and were uh were both nights were ahead of the pace of last year's show which sold out. The difference is over the last month, there was one show to buy tickets rather than two, but the pace may not reflect double sellouts. Last year's show did just under 39,000 paid with 6,000 coming from overseas up from the 2,500 the year before and a couple hundred the year before that. And that those numbers come from the uh, wrestling observer newsletter, uh, new year's dash on January 6th. Uh, that was moved to Ulta war gym in in Tokyo. Uh, which holds probably just over 4,000. It's not sold out yet, but it's very close to being so and probably will be selling out. Uh, we saw a tweet yesterday from uh, NJPW Global telling fans to look out for the American events of 2020, which we talked about in the, the opening of the show. So really looking forward to those shows, especially uh, coming to Tampa. I'm kind of curious to see which uh, venue they're running here. And then um, last bit of... New Japan news, um, this kind of uh, revolves around the Access TV deal. So Access will be airing uh, Impact specials on 12-28 and on January 4th at 8 p.m. for their awards. Um, in the past, we have seen that Access would air uh, Wrestle Kingdom January 4th um, on their show, and that would be the New Japan time slot. But Access has downplayed New Japan since the purchase um, and since they own Impact. And there has not been a new episode of New Japan on Access in a few weeks. Um, and this coming weekend, they're going to be airing uh, three hours of the July show in Dallas rather than showing anything new. And in the past, we've seen them push pretty hard, um, you know, Wrestle Kingdom airing on Access, which is historically had been one of their you know best ratings getters for Access with those special shows. So not, nothing mentioned there. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to say anything too salty. I, I have I have a kind of negative feeling about this whole thing, but I, I kind of feel like if if this company wants to leave that sort of money on the table and wants that badly, like they want to purchase this entire company just to get their failing brand onto national television, like, and they're gonna shaft like New Japan in the process, like they they deserve whatever ends up happening by not airing that. If they don't end up airing the Tokyo Dome. They're idiots, and they deserve whatever ends up happening to their channel. Yeah, that's yeah, this bad business move right there altogether. So uh, moving on into other news. So there was big news coming out of the November 29th Arena Mexico show, 
where Bandito showed up. Uh, him and Flamita, they both no-showed a AAA show uh, two days later after that. And um, after the third match on the show, Bandito came out and announced that he had signed with CMLL. I'm not quite sure what that means just yet, but, you know, clearly with the CMLL New Japan relationship, we could be seeing more Bandito um, in New Japan. Yeah. And then also another uh, Mexico news. We had uh, L.A. Park and Roosh, obviously one of the hottest feuds in Mexico over the past couple of years. Um, They are joining forces in uh, AAA to you know, form a new Los Ingobernables. And obviously, uh, we talked in the past that CMLL owns the trademark for Los Ingobernables, and uh, they had the angle on the uh, Triple Mania show, which was also the same show that had uh, Dragon Lee taking on Kenny Omega. So what do you think about um, L.A. Park and Roosh uh, joining forces after such a heated feud? You know, um, I, that was a complete shock to me. Like, when you told me about it the other day, I was like, no, I thought you were mistaken, remember? And I was like, no, you're wrong because like, there's no way that's happening. And then uh, once I started looking it up, like it seems like that's exactly what's happening. I, I I have to wait to see exactly what everything entailing that really means. But um, that's huge news. It, it is surprising. Um, you know, we never did get the famous mask versus hair match between those two in Mexico. Maybe down the line, there's a potential of that still, but um, – yeah, it's I don't know the laws when it comes to copyrights and trademarks in Mexico, but I mean, pretty sure CMLL owns Los Ingobernables. So the idea that AAA is doing their own version of it, who knows? It gets a little dicey, but yeah, I'm very excited to see what what this all means. Um, I'm wondering if Naito is going to weigh in on uh, the recent uh, AAA formation of Los Ingobernables and. Uh, how that affects LIJ in the process. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting to see if we do get any uh, kind of comments from that. What One last thing. Uh, did you have anything else for the news? Nope, that was everything I had. So one last thing, and I think that this is worth noting. So we mentioned earlier how this next weekend is pretty loaded when it comes to wrestling. Um, there's an indie uh, that's running a show on Fight TV this uh, coming week, Warrior Wrestling 7. It's a stacked show. They've got... Uh, Brian Cage and Phantasmo wrestling for that company's uh, top title. Um, Minoru Suzuki taking on Filthy Tom Lawler. Also, the team of Chaos, which I guess is Amazing Red Chaos now? I guess so. <laughs> so, Amazing Red, uh, um, Rocky Romero, and Will Ospreay taking on the Rascals in six-man action. Lance Archer against Brian Pillman Jr. Um, there's a few other really good matches, but those that's most of the new Japan talent that's announced for this card. So, I mean, as you can see, it's pretty stacked with a lot of, uh, you know, new Japan talent. Uh, and then on the exact same night is ring of honor final battle. So I think that's really telling about, again, just touching base on it, the relationship between, <laughs> Ring of Honor and uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, like they're having their quote unquote biggest show of the year. And I don't think that they're sending any talent right. at all for they're, that show. They're sending their talent to Warrior Wrestling instead of Ring of Honor. I think that speaks that's a weird. lot. That's <laughs> weird, right? Yeah. And I got to tell you, I probably, I don't think I ever missed Final Battle, but this year I'm pretty sure I'll be watching Warrior Wrestling. Right. That, that show looks lit. Yeah, Warrior Wrestling looks great. We're going to watch that on Friday. 
you know, depending on Saturday, maybe I'll catch that, uh, the replay of the, the final battle, catch uh, Marty's girls Depen- last match, him in the uh, flip against uh, Bandito and Flamita. I heard that his contract's been extended. Really? We'll have to look into it, but I heard that there's talks that he's extended even past this date and that, yeah, that's what I heard. I don't know. Okay, because there, there's been plenty of villain references on BTE the last. I know, I saw that. And they usually don't do that stuff if they're not bringing them in. So that would be very I, interesting. I we'll have to look into it. I can't. I can't remember exactly where I heard it, but it was some. It was somewhere that was like legit. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll keep our eyes on the the villain and see where he's uh, doing next, but. And I guess the last thing to do here is the recommended match of the week. Yep, and it's uh, your turn. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, for this week, and you know what? I feel bad. I feel like there's a good chance I recommended this in the past, but I'm not. I'm 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 like only I'm seventy five to eighty percent sure I never did. If I, I'm gonna go. We're gonna start keeping track of what we have um, recommended uh, going forward. So. In the if in the event I have recommended this in the past, you guys will be getting a bonus recommendation from both me and Jeremy next week. But um, I think it's fitting given the announcements that we got for Wrestle Kingdom. Um, my recommended match of the week is Jushin Thunder Liger versus Naoki Sano from January thirty first, nineteen ninety, New Japan's uh, New Spring Gold Series. Uh, this was for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. If you've never seen this match, one of the greatest matches of Liger's career. I know that I've recommended uh, Liger a couple times recently, but like with his career coming to an end, I feel like some of the stuff needs to be highlighted. And the fact that him and Sano will be tagging together. Um, they have a legendary rivalry dating from the trilogy of matches that they had in 89, but no match of theirs uh, rose to quite the same level of heights as the match they had on January 31st, 1990. And this is the famous match where Naoki Sano rips the mask off of Jushin Thunder Liger. And it didn't matter, though, because Liger's busted open so bad with blood. It's just like his hair and his mask are just a bloody mask. And it's it's just uh, it's really dramatic. And the, uh, the announcer is just screaming, Yamada! Yamada! And so, like, it's 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 incredible. But this um this match is one of the best matches of Liger's career. Um, it's the match that pretty much put him on the map, and it was the Wrestling Observer news newsletter match of the year in 1990. So, if you've never seen this match, go out of your way. It's one of the best 90s New Japan Pro Wrestling matches of of that decade, and um. It's a fitting, uh, it's a fitting match to watch, given the fact that this will be Liger's maybe last. Well, not maybe. Well, who knows? Maybe he might come back, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe last month wrestling ever. Yeah, so definitely a good match to check out and kind of get you ready for Liger's retirement. And um, one last thing before we head out, uh, voting is still open for our 2019 Keeping It Strong Style year in award so if you haven't already get your votes in we are very close to surpassing uh last year's number of uh, votes for the award so if you're listening and you have not voted yet get your votes in the links are all over the place reddit twitter and facebook uh find the ballot get your votes in and help us with determining the best of 2019 from new japan 
And uh, next week, we will have, uh, you know, the preview and predictions for the Road to Tokyo Dome shows. And we will also have a special interview with former IWGP Junior Tag Team Champion Matt Seidel. Some of you WWE guys might know him as Evan Bourne. Uh, we are going to be recording an interview with him tomorrow evening, and you'll hear that interview on next week's show. So that should be a lot of fun. So make sure you connect with us on social media. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex on Twitter. We are, uh, oh, said the Twitter already. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com <laughs> slash Social Suplex on the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. Facebook.com slash groups slash wrestling squared circle. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Also, we just got a uh, new Instagram account. You can follow us on Instagram at social suplex. You can check out all the other shows on the social suplex podcast network. On Sundays, we have one issue radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive show from Scotland. Get better, uh, Ricky. On every other Wednesday, our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, grown men, watch this shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy, and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace, the ace of, of podcasts. podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.